This is Difference Makers. I'm Mike Lee, Director of Local Ministries for True Talk 800, the 93.9 KPDQ-FM network, AM 860, The Answer, KPAM, AM 1640, The Patriot, 93.1 Elroy and 104.1, The Fish. And I'd love to talk to you about how to qualify for maybe hosting your very own radio program, becoming an authority and expanding the reach of your ministry or business, both on the air and through our state-of-the-art digital and online resources through our Salem Surround Marketing Branch, and how you can host one of our station's events and bring people to your business or church at no risk to you, just email me, won't you? Mike Lee at kpdq.com is my email address. That's M-I-K-E-L-E-E at kpdq.com. Speaking of events, if you need to find the perfect Christmas gift for those special people in your life, get them tickets for our next comedy show. Comedian Nats were sold out last year, so please make sure to buy tickets early. A very special night of inspiring comedy begins at 6 p.m. on Saturday, January 11th at Northwest Christian Church in Tigard. That's formerly Tigard Christian Church, where he appeared last time. And that's on Southwest Hall Boulevard in Tigard. And you can find out more at NazarethUSA.com. And as always, as KPDQ.com. Chris Williams is across the glass and across the desk. We have a candidate for Clackamas County District Attorney, John Wentworth. How are you today, sir? I'm well. Thank you for having me. Uh, First of all, thanks for taking time out of your busy day. It's always good to find out on occasion who's doing what in our neighborhood. And you can find out more about John by following John Wentworth on Facebook, facebook.com slash John Wentworth for D.A., and you could also check out his website, WentworthForDA.com. That's WentworthForDA.com. So, John, in your bio, it says that you're proud to make Clackamas County your personal and professional home. So can you tell us where you grew up in the first place? Sure. As a boy, I, was, uh, I grew up in uh, Fresno, California, and uh, my family lived there until I was about 13. And my dad at the time... Uh, was an employee with uh, Gerber Baby Products and got a promotion um, to come to the Portland area. And uh, Fresno then and now is a really rough city, Um, very violent. Um, We didn't grow up in the best of neighborhoods, and uh, so we saw a lot of that. And uh, so the opportunity to come to Portland and uh, and live where my dad had grown up for a short period of time uh, seemed like a natural fit. It's a beautiful area, and uh, I've never looked back. I went to Oregon State, went to high school here, went to Oregon State, went to law school at Lewis and Clark. Uh, so I'm uh, proud to call Oregon my home. So how long ago, roughly, do you remember the move from Fresno to Oregon <laughs> in the first place? How how old were you at the point? At I, that point, John, I was 13, and uh, the th- there was there were so many stories about that move. Uh, it was difficult to move from Fresno. Uh, it, well, at that point, it was all you had known. It's so all I know. Even though it's a rough neighborhood, at, looking at it from the outside, yeah. at, at that point, it, it was just your world. Yes. But it was, it was more, it, for, for, for where I was living, it, while it was a rough city, it is a rough city, the actual block I lived on uh, consisted of homes that were built in the mid-40s. And the residents, with the exception of my parents, the residents of, of those homes had lived there since the mid-40s. These were people who, they were the greatest generation. 
right? They fought in World War II. And I, as a young kid, I didn't have four grandparents. I had 20 grandparents in my neighborhood. My family was the youngest family, and I was welcome at everyone's home. And it was a very loving area to grow up in. So as a kid, as, an, as a 13-year-old, that was difficult to leave. I, I, I'm, you know, I'm not going to say it was all rosy when I got here. Uh, I had homesickness. I wanted to go back, even though I knew you know, the school was rough, and, and uh, I didn't exactly love that, but I missed the people. I missed the people that I grew up with. It was certainly the company of so many people that cared about you yes. and extra grandfather figures. I think that's priceless. It is. It, it seems is. like nowadays lucky. we don't know our immediate neighbors. We don't know who's living around the block as well as when I was growing up. You knew everyone around your block. You knew how many kids they had. You knew what the dad or mom did for a living. And nowadays it seems a lot more distance. Isn't that true? Sure. Yeah. Uh, we, everybody knew everybody's business. And I don't mean that in a negative way. I mean, if there was a car that didn't belong in the neighborhood, if there were people walking around who didn't belong there, everyone was on top of it. Everyone knew, hey, we're going to keep an eye out. And, and, and my dad, who was the, you know, the youngest guy uh, on the block, was kind of the, he was the neighborhood watch guy. You know, I mean, we, he. So I bet they liked having young blood in town, too. <laughs> they, so they loved it. Yes. They missed you probably as much as you missed them. They did. And, and, and we kept in touch. Uh, they've all passed on since then um but uh it was great to keep in touch with them as as the years went on so you talk about world war ii and the, gen- the greatest generation so my dad fought in world war ii u.s navy and my parents met late in life and they had me last so originally when i was a stupid second grader i hated the fact <laughs> that my dad was 30 years older than some of my peers dads yeah whereas now as an adult i love and cherish the fact that i probably had older world values than most of my friends around the block did. But that was a good thing. Yes. So how embracing was Oregon to this 13-year-old John Wentworth when you moved up from Fresno? It was so foreign to me. Um, I grew up in a multiracial, uh, multiracial area, mm-hmm. community. Uh, the, I grew up in Milwaukee. Milwaukee wasn't that at all. Um, it was very cliquish. There were fewer cliques in Fresno. Uh, to, to be corny, but this... Landed on me very interestingly. Back then, when I, when I moved here at 13, designer jeans were the thing. If you, didn't, if you weren't wearing James jeans or uh, Lawman's or San, uh, San Francisco riding gear jeans, you were not part of the clique, right? And uh, I came here wearing uh, JCPenney plain pockets. And I know that makes, that, you know, for most people, that doesn't matter. But when you're, when you're in junior high... That's your world. That's your world. I made the critical error in judgment in junior high <laughs> of wearing brown yeah. tough skins to school where if you were a guy, you had to wear Levi's. Yes. You might have gotten away with Lee's or Wranglers. Yep. And the girls had their their Jordache and their, their fashion designer, their Calvin Klein type things. But I made the mistake of wearing those once. And those had the patches on the inside of the knees. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Oh, those? I do. Yeah. So, yeah, kids can be cruel, especially to the new kid. Yes. And so, for, for a kid who grew up just uh, a few hours from San Francisco, and I'm hearing about these jeans that come from San, San Francisco riding gear, I have no idea what you're talking about. I grew up just, you know, just a short ways away from San Francisco, and, and I had no clue what anyone was talking about. And my parents, uh, they, they caught on right away. And these, at the time, 
these were expensive jeans. I mean, you didn't just, you know, they, they were, designer jeans were expensive, but they were so committed to making sure that I fit in and that I felt comfortable in our new environment. We went right to the Clackamas Town Center and uh, went to the Squire Shop and Mr. Rags, for people who remember back in the early 80s. Uh, those were the sh- places to shop. And, uh, and they invested money that they probably didn't fully have, but they wanted to make sure that I was comfortable and, and had a good experience at school. They seem very conscientious parents. Do you they have any were. siblings? I have a brother, a younger brother. Uh, he lives on the other side of the Port- Portland area. But uh, Were you pretty tight growing up? Or were you separate or fighting like cats and dogs oh, or frenemies know, or what? <laughs> we were frenemies. We, we, my brother and I uh, fought a lot, uh, to my mom's chagrin, but uh, we were always close, and we re- remained close. Um, and uh, that was always important to me. We were very competitive with one another. So does that go back to your Clackamas High School days? Were yes. there things that you wanted to do better than, or that, as he is the younger one, wanted to jump over whatever levels Big Brother John Wentworth had reached? Yeah, I think uh, it, it impacted, and I, you know, I, I shouldn't speak for him, but I'm going to try here. Uh, I think you know, my looking at Brian, my brother, was uh, that he, I think he tried to do some of the things that I did, and then he tr- carved out his own niche in certain ways. I was a arts and letters guy. My brother was math and science, for example. I mean, he he ex- he wanted to excel in his own way and did. Um, but at the same time, taking on some of the things that I I like to do as well, uh, he tried some of those things out. At, you know, we both played soccer, um, but we didn't play on the same teams because our ages were too different. But um, uh, yeah, we were we were competitive with one another. He he's a great basketball player. He's a great golfer. I'm not. And he always lamented that I have the height. I'm 6'2". At one time, I was 6'3". Uh, but, uh, and he's not. There's some kind of cosmic irony there. Like, yeah, yeah. I had your height. Oh, oh, I've heard that a lot. I've heard that a lot. So in your Clackamas High School days, John Wentworth, were there certain experiences that led you to want to go to Oregon State, where you received your degrees in poli-sci and speech communication? Were there certain experiences along the way that nudged you there? That decision came, neither of my parents went to college. So when it came time for me to go to college, I really relied on what my friends were doing and and what they were sharing about uh, what I should be looking for, what I should expect. And and, and then I had the financial constraints of, you know, what can we really afford? And, uh, And my decision to go to Oregon State came about from my own analysis of realizing here I am, I'm, I'm 17, 18 years old. I have to plan for my future. What am I good at? What can I, what can I contribute to, to the community? And what do I want to do that I will enjoy here on out? And I, I decided I want to be a lawyer, even in high school. That, that's where I wanted to, to go with my career. And so then it was, well, okay, if I want to do that, what kinds of things should I study? And, the, and one of the benefits of being uh, a lawyer, you can study anything. You can study music and go to law school, right? You can do anything. Really? So you could just get any four-year degree? Any four-year degree. And then go to law school afterwards? Yeah. yeah. And so, but, you know, I, I thought, well, I, I like to write, I like to, I like to speak, and, um, and I enjoy history. And that led me to political science. And from there, taking classes in speech communication, I realized how valuable that would be as a trial lawyer. And uh, the decision to go to Oregon State was that that was one of the schools locally that we could afford that had all the things that I wanted. Most importantly, their College of Liberal Arts was uh, just a, a portion of the school, right? 
if I went to Oregon, in my view, I'd be a number. I wouldn't be a person. But at Oregon State, the College of Liberal Arts is small. And I'd be a, potentially a big fish in a little pond, so to speak. People would know who I am. And that's exactly how it played out. I, have no, I loved Oregon State. Loved it. Good times in Corvallis. Do you go back and visit on occasion? On occasion, I do. I do. It's a beautiful campus. Best parts about OSU? It's, a, it, it's in a great town. Uh, Corvallis is very, it, you know, if I, if I had, uh, if my life had turned out differently, I'd love to raise a family in Corvallis, right? It's, it's safe. It's beautiful. Um, they have everything. And uh, uh, I think that's, that's what drew me most to Oregon State, just the, it's a college town. And, and I love that feel. When we return with candidate for Clackamas County District Attorney John Wentworth, I want to find out more about what prompted John into studying law in the first place. Talk about how he went on to get his law degree at Lewis and Clark. Talk about his kids and more. Make sure to follow John Wentworth on Facebook. Facebook.com slash John Wentworth for DA. And the website similarly is WentworthForDA.com. That's WentworthForDA.com. When you return, more with John Wentworth right here on Difference Makers. Welcome back to Difference Makers. Mike Lee here. And if the voice on the other side of the desk is familiar, it's because John Wentworth is proud to make Clackamas County his personal and professional home. A prosecutor for 25 years, John has extensive experience in the courtroom, and he's also a graduate of Clackamas High School, as well as Oregon State, where he received degrees in political science and speech communication. So, John, before our break, you were mentioned that you loved the Corvallis experience. So what about Corvallis today makes you admire what they do and what might you want to bring to the Clackamas County area? In Corvallis? Or what do you mean? What did you love about You mentioned really enjoying your experience in Corvallis. Yeah. So are there... Th- aspects of the Corvallis community mm-hmm. then or now mm-hmm. that you'd like to see more of in Clackamas County? Oh. Or is it apples and oranges, really? Well, it's apples and oranges, but, but um, the, the sense of community that's there. I mean, imagine you have so many um, young people coming in and yet uh, every year, and yet you have this uh, amazing community that seems cohesive and tight and... Uh, Despite the transitory nature of every four years, you're getting you know a new group of kids. Uh, that that bond, that closeness, I I would love to see in every community, right? I mean, it would be, it'd be amazing to have that. Um, now it has advantages. It has advantages that because it's a university com- community, they have a strong um, economic base that many of our Clackamas County communities don't have. Um, and, and it's guaranteed traffic. It's not oh, like it's you're guaranteed. relying on, say, tourism or something. Absolutely. Absolutely. So that's a huge advantage that many Clackamas County communities don't have um, and, and won't get, right? So, you know, if there's something out there for each community to have something uh, like an Oregon State or something, you know, some, some business that can, that can help uh, kind of generate revenue within the community, that'd be amazing. But um, that doesn't always happen and, and probably won't happen for for some period of time. Well, I'm glad that you enjoyed your experience at Oregon State, John Wentworth. And I have to ask you, what did your parents do growing up? Because you mentioned that they didn't go to college, and yet at a young age, you knew you wanted to be a lawyer. So, yeah. so connect that for me. So my, as I mentioned before, my dad worked for Gerber Baby Products, 
and he was a he was a career guy. I mean, he he or business, he was the company guy, right? He was dedicated to, to the to the company, uh, which prided itself at the time on being a family oriented business. And he stumbled on that job when I was an infant. He stumbled on that job. It was a an ad in a paper that my his mother in law, my grandmother, found. You know, he's looking for work, and she said, "Well, why don't you go interview here? Go check this out." And it and it worked out. Uh, I was lucky enough that my mom was a stay at home mom, and uh, I, I say I say that because, as I mentioned earlier, my brother and I fought a lot, so I think that was uh, a challenge for her on on uh, many many days, especially during the summer. Um, but uh, having that ability that when I came home, I had a parent right there, right. Uh, who was making sure we were okay. She would see us off. Um, even in high school, my mom made breakfast for me every day. I mean, how lucky, you know, how lucky is that? And when, and when I came home, we would have dinner and my dad, remember we lived in Fresno. And so the, the summer nights were amazing. There, it, it, the weather was just fantastic. And we'd go outside and play my dad and my brother and I, that was a chance for mom to have a break. <laughs> We go out and play football. We play basketball. We'd play um, a form of baseball in the street. Uh, some of the neighbor kids who lived around on other blocks would come, you know. And uh, I can't tell you how important that was for me as a as a kid growing up. My kid, my my dad was our soccer coach. My mom was our. I was in, in Cub Scouts. My mom was our den leader. My dad was the pack leader. Right? They were really involved. In my life, in my school, in my uh, school community, um, and it was only when I became a teenager that I came to realize: wow, my, my parents have really dedicated their lives to making sure that my brother and I uh, have good parents, that we have a loving home. Uh, I was super lucky, super lucky in that regard. Um, all, all I can do as a as a parent today is to try to emulate that. I, it, it would be hard to match. So what about your parents? Did you want to make sure that you emulated for your own kids as a dad? Just the, the, uh, there was so, such, as I, as I reflect on it, it was just a level of comfort, right? When I came home, I knew my mom would be there. I knew my dad was coming home at 530. That consistency, uh, to see them be in love with one another, to hug one another, Right to kiss one another in our presence, so that I had the confidence that the family structure was going to stay together. I never questioned it. Never questioned it. Um, all all that reliable lifestyle, I think, played into the security that I can go and do. I can be me. Right. I didn't have to worry about them. I didn't have to worry about what was going on in the home. I didn't have to worry about finances. We, they never talked about money, ever. Um, when when we needed something, and your audience can't see, but I'm doing air quotes, like designer jeans, so I fit in in junior high, they found a way to make it happen without saying, well, this is going to be, I mean, they, they, they would gripe about the price, right? But they didn't say, we, we just, you know, we can't do that, or we're not going to do that. They found a way to do it, and then I would never know what was sacrificed as a result of that. So do you believe that, having the stable family upbringing that you were raised with first in Fresno, then in Clackamas. Do you think that that really ingrained in you as a professional of really wanting to build the family in our community? Absolutely. Um, I, 
the, the sad part of what I do, because I, I see crime, I see the effects of crime every day, every day. And, I, and, and my, the unit I supervise in the district attorney's office is the domestic violence unit. So I see the impact of uh, violence and trauma in, home, in homes every day. And so for me, I mean, I, I, have, I, I have what's in my head as the gold standard, right? I, I, know, I know how much that security in the home meant for me and my success and, and making sure that I never had to worry, never had to worry about, am I going to be able to eat? Do I have a place to sleep? Are my parents okay? Are they going to be safe? Are they going to be safe with me? There was never a question. And I see so many homes who, that, that don't have that opportunity, that don't have that benefit. And so I, I, all I can do is to the best that, the, that, that these families have a touch with the system, and, and, the, and by the system I mean the criminal justice system, is to put into place certain mechanisms that bring the family as close to that as possible. I'm not trying to impose my values, but I can tell you what I, I what I see. You know, when I when I look at people who are in the criminal justice system, they tend to come from broken homes, and it, they can be broken in many many different ways. So, if you were to homes. guess statistics for issues that come before you yeah. from broken homes versus from stable homes, can you just guess a round number? I wouldn't hold you to any to any of that scientifically, <laughs> but uh, I've interviewed Oregon Youth Authority in the past, and I've interviewed other people who work with troubled youth. And across the board, they would claim things like statistically 96-plus percent of these troubled kids that I'm working with lacked a strong, stable family or father figure. So what are your thoughts on that? In your experience, have you seen similar trends among the people that you see on a regular basis? If I were to, if I were to tell you, if I were to say 80%, I would be... I would be super conservative with that number. I think it's far more than that. But you're asking anecdotally. I don't have stati- the statistics. But by and large, I mean, the people we deal with haven't come from the kind of family that I did, you know. Um, and it's unfortunate. That, that, that is the core, or it gets to the core. What happens to you as a child gets to the core of who you become as an adult. No one would, we all know that. We all know that, right? You don't need statistics and you don't need me to tell you we know that what happens to you as a child, the person you develop at, to be as a child, impacts who you become as an adult. And if you have challenges as a child, if you, if you live in a home that has violence in it, domestic violence, if you're a victim of violence yourself as a child, uh, you're less likely to do well at school, for example. And if you're less likely to do well at school, you're less likely, you're not, you're less likely to go to law school, you're less likely to be able to find a good job. You might even, because of the trauma you've experienced as a child, you may have difficulty in your job. Because if you have, if you have the effects, and I'm talking physiological, emotional, and in mental, if you have the effects of that that's happened to you as a child, and you carry that into adulthood, you may have tr- difficulty at work. So, um, can people become successful later in life, even though they've had those traumas? Absolutely. No question. And there are certain protective factors, resiliency factors that, that play into that. Um, and we can talk about that. But, but it, it, without question, the, the, the people that we see in our system tend to come from homes that uh, uh, aren't, aren't loving, aren't, aren't caring, and, and are broken in some way. So a stable family structure 
absolutely is one of the foundations that makes society move more smoothly. So in our generation growing up, did it seem that parents were more attuned to that? Because nowadays we have so many people just struggling to get by. dual income with or without kids we don't seem to have that comfort level that i saw in my parents growing up that yes my mom was a teacher but after the kids she stopped until i was about in second grade then she went back and subbed and Mm -hmm. and she took over a class full-time at one point but she had her choice because my dad worked Mm full-time and we didn't live in a rich environment monetarily but it was stable right and we knew that food was coming. We knew that the house was paid for. You know, maybe a car might go down here, here or there. But do you think nowadays that we don't put enough value into trying to have a parent home at all times for our kids? Like, when did that lose importance? Do you have? Do you see any uh, correlation with that? Uh, I, I don't have the answer for that. I don't. I don't know at what point that turn was made and and i would even caution i'm not sure there's in in what in in my career so i've been doing this for 25 years um it's hard to separate those the kinds of things that you're describing from um issues that were going on in even homes that appeared to be together right we know that divorce is more common now than it was say 40 years ago 50 years ago no question that doesn't mean those were healthy homes, right? Just because they're together. That's one factor. But what was going on within the home matters. We're far better today at identifying uh, the effects of family abuse of, and identifying issues um, for de- you know, ways of dealing with that abuse. We're far better at that now than we were 50 years ago. Um, so I'm, I'm not prepared to say that society's gotten worse because of that, violent crime is actually down, statistically, from even the early 70s. Violent crime is. Most people don't know that. Um, and, and part is because we're better as a community at dealing with some of these issues. Uh, but we still have the, but there still is violent crime, right? There still are these issues that we have to grapple with. Um, not sure when that turn might have changed. I don't know. So we got about two odd minutes before we need to take our next break. But I want to ask you about your influences. You mentioned your dad was a a career man for Gerber growing up and that neither of your parents went to college. So when did it become important to you that I want to become a lawyer? Were you a bit of an advocate for others when you were at Clackamas (laughs) High School? Did you do debate or anything like that? I didn't do debate. uh, But as as I look back, yeah, I was more of an advocate than I probably realized at the time i remember uh the health department came out and said that the the our our school cafeteria didn't pass the health code and it, and it came out i heard about it on the mor- in the morning radio and i lost i don't know i lost my mind i i skipped the first class so i could go talk to the vice principal about what are we going to do to clean up the the cafeteria kitchen right and i and i and i put it, i started putting things together like gosh the the lady who makes my sandwiches takes my money and makes my sandwiches. She's not using gloves or, you know, washing her hands or anything. That's just one thing that I noticed. And uh, I, I, that was one of my f- earliest memories of being an advocate of, hey, there's something wrong and we need to do something about it. You ever watch any of the old movies or TV shows? Like, was Perry Mason one of your heroes oh, to make you yeah. become a lawyer someday? <laughs> <laughs> so, okay. I'll tell you this quickly. 
as because I firmly believe this as a little little kid, and I'm talking five years old. One of the staples in my home was to sit down and watch Adam Twelve. Adam Twelve was a, a TV show about two rookie cops. Do you remember? I remember that show. Yep, <laughs> I do. Two rookie cops, and the show was amazing to me. I I, I think it imprinted. I had a I had a, an Adam Twelve lunchbox, <laughs> <laughs> an Adam Twelve lunchbox with the thermos, and I loved it. I and then and then. Um, the spinoff of that was Emergency. I remember Emergency. And then I wanted to be a firefighter. And then Chips came on, and I wanted to be a CHP a highway. But but it was always there was always this element of, I want to help people. I want to, you know, right? There, there, someone has a problem, and I want to help come in and, and deal with that problem and help them through it. It's always been a thread through. Well, I'm glad to see these TV shows like Emergency and, and Adam 12 help do some good it for did. John Wentworth, candidate for Clackamas County District Attorney. When we return more with John Wentworth and make sure that you check out details about him on his website, WentworthForDA.com. That's WentworthForDA.com. And you're listening to Difference Makers. You're listening to Difference Makers. Mike Lee here. And it's always fun to find people doing positive things in the community. John Wentworth has prosecuted thousands of criminal cases, including misdemeanors, drug offenses, elder financial exploitation, child abuse, and aggravated murder. So as a fellow family man, John, do you have any success stories when it comes to the elderly? Because for me personally, I've had loved ones been taken advantage of. And these are not people who are uneducated or unwise uh, these aren't your average suckers, if if you allow me to use that term. They're normal people who got taken advantage of by predators. So across your many years in your career, were you able to take any of these scammers down or these people exploiting the elderly? Uh, yeah. And, and the huge challenge that we have is um, that, as you mentioned, even, even the you, – you don't have to be dumb – you don't have to be uh, uh, what uh, what's the word gullible, perhaps. gullible, gullible to, in order to fall prey to this. I mean, uh, I know people who've been taken advantage of, like non-senior citizens, uh, people who've been taken advantage of because they get a phone call saying, "Hey, we've detected that there's a virus on your computer, and uh, we, we'd like you to send us some money so that we can take that off your computer and make it better." And they say they're from Microsoft, right? And they fall prey to that because nobody wants a virus on their computer. Now, those scams are even greater when it comes to the senior citizens community. Um, it's 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 well, easier. they're targets. They're going to generally have more expendable money hidden that's, somewhere. Right? That's exactly it. They're 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 they're, tar- they're a target rich environment, right? Uh, many of them are alone. Many of them have more money than they've ever had in their life. They have it all there, and uh, and so it's easy for people to take advantage of. The saddest cases that we see are cases where family take take advantage of their own family because they in 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 the most generous light you know I'll put it put it that way some families just see well mom's money is our money it's the family's money without without really thinking about the fact no it's mom's money and she I can't tell you how many cases I've seen where um mom, they'll put mom in a in a uh, living facility and then probably stop paying the bills for the living facility and uh, and then spend money, spend all of mom's money. Now, mom may have wanted them to have the money eventually when she passes anyway, 
But while she's still coherent, well, that's her exa- call. Exactly, exactly. And that, that's the bulk of what we see, unfortunately. And, and, and when we talk about elder abuse, 90% of the elder abuse I see is financial exploitation. It's so common. Um, and uh, we have a mandatory report statute for lawyers who come across it or uh, physicians who come across it. And yet, I can tell you, I just know that there's, it's far more prevalent than even I know. So helpful hints, maybe you've got an elderly relative or neighbor. There's no such thing as a foreign lottery. No one will charge you to send you your winnings. Yeah. You can have a contractor go door to door or advertise and use someone else's contractor's number. So come on, we're in a cell phone age, a smartphone age, an internet age, look up the actual numbers of these so-called contractors and make sure the name matches. Don't take people's word for things. And uh, when it comes to these pop-ups, sadly, the young people get enticed by that also. And some of these online pop-ups, they look so convincing. They look real. But no one deserves your debit card or credit card number. If you have any questions, walk into the bank in person. Yep. Don't get taken advantage of that. That just kills me to no end. Bank tellers are one of our favorite first first responders to scams like this. They're 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 on top of it. So if you do your banking in the bank, the likelihood of of stopping this sort of thing from happening increases. I just heard about one where uh, people are getting phone calls or letters saying. Hey, you know, you have this outstanding debt, and uh, you can, or, or, or there's a warrant for your arrest, right? Uh, and you can clear it by just sending us the, the number on your gift, just the gift cards that you've received. So I'm, this is important during the holiday season, the Christmas season. If you can just send us the numbers on your gift cards, we can use that money to clear your debt. And, and I mean, it's, and those are very hard to track. Very, very hard to track. So, in one sense, John Wentworth, there's nothing new under the sun, but it certainly <laughs> seems to me, as a parent especially, that things move a lot more quickly than they do when you and I were growing up, especially when it comes to not only the exploitation of the elderly, but of kids. So, as a dad, do certain things just really bother you more than ever when it comes to young people getting taken advantage of? And you, you fought for, for so many different causes over the years in the Clackamas County District Attorney's Office. Uh, I mean, do any stand out as particularly heinous to you? Well, you know, the, the major thing that we always caution parents against is allowing your, your child to have a computer in their room without any access to, to parenting, right? Without any supervision. Same thing with cell phones. Uh, social media has, has made it far easier for uh, predators of children to have access to children without the parents even being aware that that's occurring. And so uh, strict monitoring, you know, my kids have cell phones and they have for years, but they know that those cell phones are my cell phones as a parent. They're not their cell phones. Uh, you know, I gave them to them as gifts, but they're, they're, they're mine. And that means I can check them whenever I want. And they know that. Now they've, they've put passcodes on, but I ask, okay, well, what's the passcode? And I check to make sure that it, I know what that, you know, they, I can get into the phone whenever I want. That's critical. It's critical for their safety, right? And it's critical to know as a parent what, you know, what's happening with your child. So uh, is it invasive or does it seem invasive? Of course. But, it, you know, it's, um, I once heard a doctor who was describing someone who was bitten by a rattlesnake because they tried to kiss the rattlesnake. 
And, he, and the doctor said, the person with the bigger brain is the one who has responsibility. And I've kind of carried that in to parenting, right? I've got the bigger brain. It's my responsibility to make sure that my children are safe, more, far more than their responsibility. So uh, I would recommend that to, to parents to just know what your kids are doing. That's a good overall bit of wisdom for us, John Wentworth. And your mileage may vary family to family, mm-hmm. even between kids within the same family. But do you have any good rules of thumb generally when it comes to safety, whether it's from the Internet or smartphones or social media? Are there general round numbers that if your kid's not X amount of years old, mm-hmm. you, the kid has no business owning fill in the blank? Well, I, I don't know that I'm the person to, to answer that. Uh, you know, kids mature at different ages. And people and parents have um, – I made the decision to give my kids cell phones when, when they were going to be walking home from school by themselves. When I knew that, you know, uh, there wouldn't be a parent or a grandparent picking them up um, because of their age or they're not going to take the bus. I know that they're going to be walking home on their own. And so I made the decision. I wanted them to be able to call for help if they needed it. Um, so that was that was just the how it came to be in my family. I know parents who wait much longer, and I know parents who do it earlier. But my recommendation is just always know what's happening. Uh, my kids can't download social media, for example. They can't be on Instagram or Twitter unless I have access to their Twitter or Instagram accounts. Right? I want to be able to check to see what they're posting and who's who's paying attention to what they're doing. That's equally as important. So I read some horror story out there, and it was about a cute young teenage boy who was befriending kids on social media. Unfortunately, whether this young man knew it or didn't, traffickers were using his connection to to access young children. And, And sadly, these things are out there, and as parents, we do need to be conscientious about them. So, John, in your bio, I've read that you're also an advocate for early intervention and treatment programs as the chair of the board of directors at Parrot Creek Child and Family Services in Clackamas County. So how did you get involved with this group in the first place? I Part of, part of my responsibility at the DA's office from 2007 to 2010 was to supervise our juvenile unit. So I supervised our attorneys who handled all the dependency matters, so issues where we have uh, DHS has identified a family where the the parenting needs help. Uh, Sometimes it meant termination of parental rights. Uh, That would go to the Department of Justice, but we were a part of that process. And also the juvenile delinquency program, right? And one of the programs that we worked with most closely was Parrot Creek. Parrot Creek is a is an organization that's been around since 1968. That is their their initial mission was to take kids who were deemed as incorrigible. That's that's in the that was in the mission statement. They took the kids that no other no other program in the state could work with, and tried to work with them in a therapeutic model. In other words, let's see if we can work with them not in a in a punitive way, but in a therapeutic way, and that's the model that. Parrot Creek carries on today. And so it's a much different approach to uh, dealing with at-risk youth. Our goal is to try and keep kids out of the adult system down the road. And so instead of, again, remember I told you that the the key is to bring as much of, of what appears to be a normal, and I'm using the air quotes, family structure as possible, the, the better chance you're going you're gonna to have to have a successful adult. 
Parrot Creek tries to, tries to bridge that gap. They work with the youth and they work with their family in a therapeutic setting to address many of the issues of the broken homes that, that we were talking about earlier um, to make the youth productive and successful later in life and to help their families help them, right? So it's a, it's a two-pronged approach. It's not just working with the youth. It's working with the family and the youth to get to that place. And so that, I'm excited about the work that they do there um, because that, to me, that's, that's more akin to what we, what we want to do to try and curb delinquent behavior, criminal behavior in adult life. Which is not to say not to punish bad behavior, but right. give people, especially youth, a fighting chance to maybe catch up in what they were lacking in the first place. Accountability is always part of it, right? You make a bad choice, you have to deal with the choice. But we want to help you make better choices. Accountability is a good thing, and it's a necessary <laughs> thing. So we've got to... About two-ish minutes before we need to land the plane, John. Uh, family is such a strong part of why you do what you do. So would you like to boast on your kids? <laughs> Thank you for giving me that opportunity. Uh, I have uh, an 18-year-old boy, uh, Ethan, and a uh, 15-year-old girl, Elise. Um, they are couldn't be more different in terms of their personalities. Ethan is more of an introvert, and Elise is more of an extrovert. And... Uh, and Completely different than my brother and I, they get along fantastically, they, they, wonderfully, and um, and support one another really, really well. So they they are every bit as close as my brother and I, but without the <laughs> without the competition, maybe without the fighting, without the fighting. I wonder if that's because one's a boy and one's a girl. That could be. That could be. Um, but uh, they're wonderful kids. You know, every parent when you when you have that opportunity to to, to look at your kids and decide, you know, are, are they are they who I want them to be? And because we all we don't want to admit it, but we want to live a little vicariously through them and, and, and know that they're good people, too. Uh, I have that in my kids. I'm, I'm, that, that's my biggest brag, that they're just good-hearted people. Well, congratulations. It's evident how much you love your kids, John Wentworth. And final minutes, give me your elevator pitch. Why are you running, and what would you like to do as a candidate for Clackamas County District Attorney? One of the things that... Um, well, it gets to the heart. I want to get to the heart of what we've been talking about, and that is early intervention with a lot of the things that we've been talking about. Early intervention in terms of dealing with crime uh, and accountability on the other end. I can see down the road, or I, you know, I get the I get the end product. So much like the doctor would get a patient who maybe has had um, difficulty in their life, made bad lifestyle choices, and they have to deal with the symptoms. That's much of what I do. My job as a district attorney, I think, is to be a voice to say, hey, let's go back and deal with some of these issues upstream. Let me, you know, let's work with the, let's work with the churches, let's work with the schools, let's work with the community leaders to try and deal with the issues that we see in our children and uh, make sure that they're growing up in, in a positive environment. The number one, I, I want to, I don't I hasten to add that the, the one thing that's most important is, is an adult in, in a child's life that cares and makes a difference. And that will change everything down the road. So whether they're under our roof or perhaps young people around the neighborhood or our kids' friends, let's try to be that positive role model in young people's lives. Thanks so much for taking time out of your busy schedule to join us. Candidate for Clackamas County District Attorney John Wentworth. More information is at WentworthForDA.com. That's WentworthForDA.com. And thank you for listening to Difference Makers. (laughs) 